This is Bar Crawl Radio Podcast, recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street. Alan and I feel that the best conversations happen at your neighborhood bar. Today, we're talking about the protests going on in Hong Kong over the heavy-handedness of the Hong Kong leadership controlled by the People's Republic of China, otherwise known as China. China. Yeah. Yeah. Or PRC. PRC sometimes, yeah. right. We will be talking with Ken Su, a member of New York for Hong Kong, a local who supports democracy for Hong Kong, including universal suffrage and genuine election reform. We'll be talking about the history of Hong Kong as a political and social entity, the effects of recent protests on the position of Hong Kong in relation to the PRC, or as we said, China, and how all of this is affecting the lives of the Hong Kong expats living here in New York City. Alina Larson, BRC's world-traveling co-producer, will talk about her recent visit to Hong Kong and her conversations with protesters in that city. Okay, enough for the introduction. Here we go. That's uh, Wade Ripka of the Eastern Blockheads. He introduces all Bar Crawl Radio. Uh, not all of them, every other one he, he introduces. Right, right, well, no, he introduces the other one too, but it's different music. It's different, it's yeah. Wade but it's Wade Ripka's it's, music. It, but it's Wade yeah, yeah, Ripka. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ken Su is with us today at uh, Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. He is an American Hong Konger working in the financial industry while he volunteers for NY4HK. That's New Yorkers for Hong Kong. Okay, so do you is say right? Hong Konger? Is that what you New say? Yorkers for Hong Kongers. New Yorkers for Hong Kong. For New Hong Yorkers Kong. for Hong Kong. Hong yeah. Kongers. You said he's an evil. American Hong Konger. I was yeah, just yes. curious what, what that. I is. know I came across the term Hong Konger. You did. It's actually a term that we are still debating whether it should be Hong Kongese or the Hong Kongers. Right. Right. Okay, There's a space okay. in between. But, okay. uh, and I've been, I've been trying to come up with a name for people who are living in this country. And because we'll call ourselves American. But Canadians are American. But Canadians are American Mexicans and Mexicans are American. American yeah. People, so everyone in South America is American. It's almost like so we, I'm, I'm coming know, up with, we're, co-opted we're United Statesians. That's true. United well, Statesites. But well, we have the American Chinese and American Hong Kongers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that, yeah. That, 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 that makes more sense. Hmm. Uh, so to continue, um, so uh, yeah, NY4HK is a social political organization that supports Hong Kong democratic movements. NY4HK was established in 2014 during the Hong Kong Umbrella Movement and has hosted many rallies and events to raise Americans' awareness of Hong Kongers' fight for freedom and democracy. Ken, welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Were you born in Hong Kong? Yes. And when did you come to the United States? In the mid-90s. Okay, all right. When Clinton was so the president. You were a baby. <laughs> so why, why did your parents... Let, let's just put it that way. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, we're not, yeah. So why did your parents come here? Was, was it a business or you came here as a child? Correct. Um, well, I came here actually was as a um, middle school student, let's just say. The, there's a wave of Hong Kongers that migrate to um, other countries, especially Western countries like United States, Canada, and Australia, New Zealand. And, Be- and these are Be- places that Hong Kongers generally go to in the world if they're not staying in Hong Kong. Correct, because these are English-speaking countries. Got it. And mm. that's a second language for Hong Kongers, right? Right. Um, you can basically see a lot of Hong Kongers, especially before the um, handover of Hong Kong from Britain to China, mm-hmm. that 
the first language obviously is our model language, which is Cantonese. Then the second language is often English over Mandarin. That Mandarin is the、mm. official language of China, as you know. But most of us receive the education that is a bilingual education since we are in kindergarten, basically. In Cantonese. Cantonese、so. and English. And, and English. English. Right, and right, English. Right, right. No, yeah. Which right. is different than in if you were brought up in China, you would not necessarily be speaking English. Yeah,、right. that's but, correct. But, but it's a unique part of being of, of being a Hong Kong or a Hong. Kangite, did you say? Hong Kongers. Hong, okay, Hong, okay, Hong, we're going to stick、Kongers. with that for the、right. show. So, so、um, just just curious, Taiwanese speak Mandarin, though, probably. They、no? do. They do. They okay. Do. Okay.、Yeah. We'd like to learn a little bit more for for our listeners and for ourselves. Is a bit of the history of Hong Kong. I mean, we've heard a lot of stuff is going on now in Hong Kong with the protests, and we'll get to that. But what's、um, we want to kind of go back and how did Hong Kong get to where it is? It's basically an island. Um, let's just say that Hong Kong has an island called Hong Kong Island,、mm-hmm. but the territory of Hong Kong is more than just the island.、Okay. There's an island, ma- many islands around, but also a part that is、uh, adjacent to China, right? The penin- think of that as more like a peninsula is the majority of the area, but、um, it is a region. It's in the south part of China. S- southern part of China, correct? And、okay. that is adjacent to the the Guangdong or the Canton province. Of China, one of the most populous、uh, provinces in,、uh, in the country. Right. And、uh, so Hong Kong was a vision, fishing village with like not too many people, maybe a few thousand people,、mm-hmm. um, even during the Qing Dynasty. Although it's a place that has been、um, populated by humans probably in、um, you know at the turn of the millennium maybe or before Tang、um, Song、uh, Dynasty. However,、uh, the Yes, China Qing Dynasty back then. Before, you know, in the 19th century, they lost the Opium War to the Britons, and、uh, and that Opium War thing—that's a whole other story. Whole other story.、Yeah. Let's just say the Qing Dynasty lost, and they have to concede by giving a、um, an harbor for the British people. So they, there were three rounds of、uh, secession from China, and.、Uh, That becomes the entire map of Hong Kong as of today.、Right. But you're right. In the beginning, it's just the Hong Kong Island, but then it keeps going further, further up north into the Chinese territory,、right. the Qing Dynasty territory. And so the British took over, and, and I, I looked this up in 1842.、Mm-hmm. Um, and then、um, they, 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 they continue to rule Hong Kong area、um, up until、um, World War II, and then Japan took it over for a few years. Correct. And then we, as we all know, Japan lost. And it went back to British rule, right? right? And at that point, what what was the?、Um, how did Hong Kong develop? How did it become this commercial center, financial commercial center that it is now?、Um, I think it's a combination of the nature of Chinese people with the grit and the, you know, the willingness to to work hard and get things done. And at the meantime, it is also being governed by the rule of law with a just and a fair. The judicial system, the British common law system, and the combination of both will get you the best of、um, every society. And、uh, so, you know, the Hong Kong Hong Kong used to be again as a small fishing village with some you know trade ports and stuff back in the early 20th century. But the economy really started booming when the communists took over the mainland China, and they basically isolated its own country and、uh, with the only slight opening, which is being Hong Kong. So and you say slight opening. This is a slight opening to the rest of the world's economy. For the correct,、yeah. that 
So there's a lot of trading across the border. Things have to go through Hong Kong, essentially. So that sort of benefits Hong Kong as well. And benefits and, China. Uh, in a way, but has to go through Hong Kong. So Hong Kong basically is developed as an import-export business. Mm. That was the biggest source of income and wow. then eventually becomes the uh, now the third biggest financial center of the world and the freest economy of the world wow. as well. And, um, and a lot of that, and the economic boom actually started in the early 70s when the British government really fought hard against corruption. So that really turned things around. Um, and uh, in my opinion, that is uh, Sir McLeo is one of the best governor of, um, of Hong Kong. And, Although, and who was that? Uh, McLeo. The yeah. governor now. No, he, the, the British, the British. colony co governor of Hong Kong. Yeah, he ruled for about 10 years, I believe. And most of the policies are, are, are pro-Hong Kong people. It wasn't biased towards the British government at all. And uh, that really exemplifies, um, you know, what a good government, you know, how that can be run. Okay. And, yeah. But in uh, 1997, uh, the, the, the British Brits left, uh, and they uh, they had an agreement with China um, uh, about leaving. And I, I don't want to get into the history of their leaving. Well, why did they leave, though? All right. Okay. <laughs> well, fine. Fine. Let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were telling the story. All right. Well, as China, after the whole Cultural Revolution madness, they decided to go into you know, capitalism and go into that direction. The Western world starts to open up to China, you know, starting with Richard Nixon and then later on Margaret Thatcher and everybody. So Deng Xiaoping back then basically said that we need to unify China and Hong Kong is a China's territory. And uh, also the, there is a part, a big part of Hong Kong called the New Territories is not permanently succeeded to um, Great Britain. The, it is actually running under a 99 years lease, and, is, and the lease is up. It's going to end at the year 1907, right? 1997. So then the negotiations started around maybe 82, and then they finalized in 1984, saying that um, Deng Xiaoping basically said sovereignty is out of the question, has to be China, but we can talk about anything else. So this is why we developed this agreement called the One Country, Two Systems. Two Systems, yeah. Treaty, where, you know, yes, and when it comes to sovereignty and the protection of land, you know, it's, it's China's authority under Hong Kong. But Hong Kong still should have its own judicial system and financial system as well. And basically, Hong Kongers deserve to have a firewall, a judicial firewall against the rest of China. Because both the British and the, West, the Western world and even Deng Xiaoping himself know that Hong Kong has been running as its own area for even longer than not just the mainland China under PRC, but also the Taiwanese government, which is the Republic of China. And that, and that yeah. complicates the story even more. That, yeah, so he realizes that it's gonna take at least 50 years for the two sides to really, you know, you know, to reconcile and trying to be more like the same type of people. So they created a buffer of so-called 50 years no change, in a sense saying that we're gonna make sure that one country, two system method uh, it's going to run for at least 50 years, and then we can talk about the future after the 50 years. Yeah, and I, I, do, I do want to get to that because that 50-year agreement that started in uh, 1997 is up in 2047. Time goes uh, by cer fast. Certainly in your lifetime, that's going to happen. Uh, and I, I do want to talk about that because it seems like there is some push to make that kind of 
concretize that change now. I don't want to get to it right away. Okay, but, we will we will get to it. But go on. But you see, the interesting point is that that's why I say a lot of Hong Kongers, um, maybe families of the elite or at least the ones that have savings or being able to have the ability to move overseas, they choose to leave before '97 because of their disbelief of the mainland Chinese government, how the communists run the country. They have seen how 1989 Tiananmen massacre works. They lost a lot of faith in the government. So ah. they, they basically express their uh, concerns by just leaving the country. Right, and so there was like a lot. Like my family. Yeah, like your right, family. Right, right, right. And that's about the time that they left. Yeah, 95. So Ken, Hong Kong is a commercial and investment hub of that area of the world. How important is Hong Kong to Chinese trade? Very important. More important than you know, Chinese people would believe because it is the only place where um, you know, China can turn assets into U.S. dollars and rate U.S. dollars debts. You, you can't, and, and being a, a free economy is that you can invest capital and take it away as you wish, but you can't really do that with China. And um, one of the most important thing is that the, the importance of uh, being a world financial center is that you have to have a free society, at the same time a a fair judicial system, right? And this is how you can attract capital from the rest of the world. You need some stability to have business. More than just stability, but the fact that I know that when I invest money in this place, I should be able to enjoy the money without being confiscated by the government mm -hmm. or being, yes. you know, press charges that is unfair against the company or to myself personally, right? So that's fundamental. That's fundamental. Without freedom, there's nothing. Right. Well, freedom with rules about how, how it runs and how it's going to run into the future. Right, and you can check all the statistics in terms of the rule of law standard. China is way behind Hong Kong on, on that front. And um, so this is exactly what sparks the whole uh, revolution that is uh, happening this year, which is the extraditional, basically saying that we are going to remove the firewall, the judicial firewall that Hong Kongers have been enjoying since '97. Basically, the Chinese rule is now going to um, overtake the rest of the Hong Kong judicial system. And that is what is so scary about this. That's the big fear now. It's the, it's the big of fear. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're chipping away. Right, right. It's so one country, one and a half system. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or right. one system. And then yeah. one quarter system. And yeah, then, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's their idea, I would think. I mean, I'm, I don't know. So do you travel to Hong Kong, Ken? Yeah, from time to time. And what's life like there? What's life like for the most people? Um, they definitely, you can see a change of the sentiments uh, since the transfer of sovereignty back in 97. Initially, I think uh, people still have a lot of hope, saying that, you know what, uh, we finally is part, feeling like I'm part of the country. Uh, China is getting stronger and stronger year by year. They look to be more open to economy and trading. And then things get a little bit sour. Right, when you have these bad policies that happens around 2003, so people start to have some disbelief of China, then it gets be better again when it comes to the Beijing Olympics and seeing uh -huh. how Lehman Brothers causing all the global financial system collapsing while China sort of staying relatively strong. That is when Hong Kongers feel that they belong to China, they recognize themselves as Chinese. The peak probably starting is heading around 2008-2009 timeframe. And then when the umbrella movement you know, sort of started in 2014, this is going way down here since then. So there's a lot of um, disbelief in the government. There's, um, you know, there's the sentiment of the uh, people in Hong Kong are, are, are quite 
angry with the policies. They start to realize that for the past more than five years or so, most of the policies that they make have been leaning towards you know, benefiting Beijing, benefiting towards the, the elites of the, um, of the society. And uh, this is really pissing off a lot of people. And right. uh, they, this is why they're starting to realize, you know what, perhaps it was right that we really should get universal suffrage. We need a true democracy in Hong Kong because there's no way for them to oppose the government's actions if everyone's being handpicked by the government. So we want to we want to yeah. um, we want to get on move on to the 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 protests and exactly what they mean and what's happening. But I, I still want wondered what it, um, like to even scroll back to when before you left, what was it like bef before 1997, before the 1990s when you know when your family left, what was it like in Hong Kong? I would say this: um, the the core value of Hong Kong people before 97 was about making money work hard and don't worry too much about politics because there's not much to worry about. These Sounds very American. <laughs> well, wow. well e even less in that sense. The participation in democracy, you know, because we do have some voting going on for the legislative council and whatnot, but um, people are uh, in general indifferent to the politics, which is a mistake in my opinion at this point when we look back in history. But it's a good thing, right? It's a, it's a luxury that we don't have anymore in Hong Kong because we, can, we can't just focus on business and assuming everything is just fine. When the, when the rules and the policies are leaning towards you know, the elites, you know something is wrong and inequality is getting worse and worse. And the youth woke up? The youth have to wake up because right. they realize if you factor in the rise of the real estate prices, Hong Kong university graduates as of now, compared to their parents like 30 years ago, is in effect only 25% of how much their parents are making. Hmm. If you factor in the real estate prices, hmm. they have to basically work 20 years without spending any money on food transportation to be able to buy a 500 square feet huge apartment, they call. Right. This is, uh, you, you think New York is extreme? Think of Hong Kong. And the inequality is insane over there. If you look at the Gini index, in the top of the, the list is always these African countries and maybe Caribbean countries, and suddenly Hong Kong pops up. Wow. Right there. The inequality, usually, it, it, it's, it's true about anything, right? When there is inequality, there will be a revolution. Or some and, kind and yet, of. And know, yet people, are, people are making money there. But who? But yeah, who? but who? There's a handful <laughs> of people living up in the mountains with the huge mansions. Obviously, the, the, the uber rich, you have the mo mo most number of billionaires in any cities, and Hong Kong has the most number of skyscrapers, way, way more than New York, if you look at the stats. Amazing, amazing. Yes. But so, the people don't benefit from it. Yeah. 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 Even though money's being produced there, money yeah. and wealth is being produced there. Yeah. So th there's, there have been many protests since starting with the umbrella movement. Um, uh, you know, going back to 2012, about 2014. 2014. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, have have the round of street protests, and it's been rounds of street protests over the years. Have they been getting more violent? Have they changed? Um, has the message changed, or is it is it pretty much what it always had been? Um, it is a very good question, actually. Um, Hong Kongers have protests. Let's just say, even during the uh, British rule, but they are mostly. Very, one of the most peaceful protesters that you can find in the world. Um, you know, mar marches, you know, without any, even cursing, yet that you see on the streets. And uh, the streets actually look cleaner after the march than before. 
that, that and is that's how. And that's because of the protesters. The, prote the protesters, yeah. They, they clean up after themselves. They clean up themselves, and even in the 2014, when they finally realized that maybe we should try to break some rules by occupying the streets, mm -hmm. this is like an extreme thing for yeah. Hong Kongers back in 2014. Right. Unimaginable before that, right? So they, they would set up camps on the streets. They have their own libraries, and they clean up bathrooms and, and, and leave things for people to use. And it's, a, 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 it's such a, a orderly community in the middle of the streets in Hong Kong. And that's what the not just the youngsters, but some young professionals after work, they would just sit down and join in the, the resistance movement. So that is what Hong Kong's protesters are used to be, or that's what they're known for for the Western world. Um, but this is also a failing strategy because it makes it very easy for the government to uh, disband the group. And it actually failed after 79 days or so. Right. I, I want to turn yeah. to, to Alina, um, who I didn't introduce directly before, and you had a question earlier. Um, if you didn't hear a voice that sounded like Becky, it was Alina Larson. Uh, so you were in Hong Kong, and I think there were some questions you had to ask. Um, I do, yeah. It was such a learning experience for me because when I was there, I originally you know, only knew that it was about the extradition um, topic. But um, you know, since then, I've learned so much. But I just would love to hear from you. Um, why do you feel the mainland Chinese are so opposed to the Hong Kong protests? Is that I, the I propaganda? Think, I think it's probably they are afraid that if Hong Kongers are to succeed to fight for what they have, which is freedom and democracy and, and human rights, then the mainland Chinese people will start asking for the same thing. And that ultimately uh. is going to damage the profits of the mutual benefactors on the elite you know, part of China. As you know, there's probably even a higher inequality going on down there if you have all the real numbers. Okay. Um, so they're afraid because the ruling parties are the ones that are making a lot of money. Most of their relatives are actually living overseas or have overseas status. Xi Jinping himself, he allegedly has his family like with British citizenship. You know, all, all in any really? Hong Kong elites. Mm. Wow. They're not just they are not going to be willing to live in China. They're going to make money with China, but they're going to move the assets and families away when things start blowing up. So they wow. love to keep the status quo, and the easiest way to keep the status quo is if people just focus on working and don't ask for freedom and democracy. So, and, yes. so what about that? What about, do you have a sense of how the mainland Chinese people feel about what's going on in Hong Kong? Do you have any sense? Yeah, is there any of way of getting a, a feel of those people? I do, I do. Um, um, I would say this, right? First, I don't believe that if you talk about a particular country or its people, there's only one type of people. There's always diversity right. of opinions, right? And so I don't want to overly generalize everybody. And that happened China. in 2014 with the um, older generation being very upset with the younger generation for the, the protest. Wasn't there a mm. kind of a rift? Not, not entirely, but that is in general the uh, sentiments, uh, if you have to generalize that uh, as well. But when you talk about China, right, because I want to get back to that topic. Yes. I would say a lot of the uh, mainland Chinese people, because they have a restricted source of news, uh, basically, all news are being scanned by the Chinese government, so they will only allow you to see what they want you to see. And um, since it is very difficult to hide away from all the um, protest action that is in Hong Kong, they will try to frame it as this is Hong Kongers fighting for independence, a separation from China. So once you use that as your headline, all the main, the, the, most of the main and Chinese viewers will go crazy, but like, whoa, 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 we're not going to do that. One China, 
right? Mm -hmm. we, Hong Kong has to be part of China, no questions asked. But if you look at the five demands by the Hong Kong protesters, none of those five demands were about independence, right? Independence is not the solution. What Hong Kongers are wanting right now are basically protecting this basic freedom that is always that we always have, and also fighting for a true democracy. So these are the things that a lot of the mainland Chinese people don't get to hear, and that's the problem. And but I do believe there is also a silent minority that is in mainland China. Uh, we're at a bar, so we're going to hear yeah, yelling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, it happens. that's good. <laughs> yeah. So maybe there's a silent cry, like what I just heard. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, there you go. That they want to support the Hong Kongers. They sort of know what's going on because the older generation of China has gone through the Cultural Revolution and they are lucky enough to survive. But they also know that the repercussion will be huge if they were to speak up in mainland China. The cost for Hong Kongers right now to speak up against the government, maybe perhaps they got beat up or they got injured or locked up in the the jails and whatnot, but in China you lose your life. Your family may lose your life with you if right. you were to do that. So they are very afraid of about speaking up over there and they will allow maybe the younger generation to get brainwashed because as long as they remain safe and go on with daily lives, let them believe in the, the fake news. And that's what's going on in, in mostly in mainland China. But again, not everybody is like that because when I this is why it's interesting when I join, when I host protests with uh, Professor Anna Chang in New York, there are mainland Chinese people that will join us for the fight. They will be, of course, covering the, their face and the mask without trying to hide their identities, but they'll tell me, look, I'm from mainland. I know what's going on. I really want to support you. Is that what the mask is about? <sighs> the mask, again, if from the angle of many Chinese viewers from mainland China to be like, well, you're wearing a mask because you're about to commit a crime. That's why you don't want to show your face. It's the opposite. We know what our opponents are capable to do once they have the facial recognition and, and try to you know, identify who I am and where I work, uh, where I went to school. Right. You know, so this is why people are wearing masks and the things to hide their face because they know how brutal the opposition is. If right. this were to be a fight against maybe the American government, probably we don't need that. A lot of the organizers from earlier on have been um, in, in prison already. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's getting worse and worse. Yeah. Right. So may maybe we could, we could turn and talk about the masks. Uh, Alina, you um, were uh, in um, Hong Kong just recently, uh, and you talked to um, several Hong Kongers. What did you see? And protesters. What, 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 was it, what did you see when you were you know, with, with them? May, may These I young add, people. May yeah. I add one question to Alina? Yeah. What is the time frame uh, that you were in Hong Kong? I was there in Kong? August. Things yeah. have already escalated. They since have, then. haven't they? That's yeah, why. that's what I've heard. Exactly. Um, yeah. So when I was there, um, the protests—it seemed like they were mostly happening on the weekends. Um, the streets were cleared um, because it seemed like there were designated times when the protests were allowed to happen and so they really cleared off um, and blocked off large uh, avenues um, and so yeah for, you know what I saw the day that I went was you know like like you were saying it was mostly young people everyone was in black t-shirts um, most people had masks um, a lot of some people had hard hats umbrellas. There were very few people with um, gas masks. Right. Um, but as you were saying, everyone was what very kind, peaceful. What kind of masks were there? 
did, did you see? Just like the medical masks. Okay. All right. But no yeah. goggles? Because my understanding is that the goggles protect much. you from the tear gas. I mean, I've seen the Guy Fox mask, too. Uh, they yeah. have the, with the, that covers the whole face. Right, right. right. With, not too much. Not, not, not too not, much. Not but, sure. I mean, again, as you said, things have escalated, so I'm not sure if there's more need for that now. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you did talk to some of the uh, protesters. I think it was before they were actually going off to the protest. I did, yeah. And you, you asked about um, the, you know, why they were wearing the mask or they were going to wear the mask. And so I thought maybe we could play a little bit of uh, what, 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 what their answer is. Okay, here we go. You, you, can note, you can see that some of the protesters wear the mask uh, so to protect themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you don't, you're not going to wear a mask. Uh, I will, but I'm waiting, my friends. So uh, when I, I join the protest, I will wear wing the mask. And you wear that to protect your identity or to protect from gas? Uh, I think both. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so this was a young lady. Um, can, I mean, did, did you talk to her a little more? Did, uh, do you remember else what she was uh, talking about? Um, yeah, she was really explaining to me that it, the protests were had really gone beyond the extradition question. It was really about fighting for democracy. Right, right. Um, and, and you and you had asked several of them about, you know, why are you protesting? Yeah. Um, and so you we you brought back some sound about that. Yeah. And so why don't we why don't we listen to that? And and this was basically to your question is why why are you protesting? And but this is back mm -hmm. in August, and so I guess things have gotten even. Yeah, Kendall, let us know for let's, sure. Let's, let, let's hear what they said. I feel like this is like an ongoing war, maybe like ongoing war towards the um, the government. And I think uh, we, I think it's important that um, people like try their best to like voice out their opinion. And even even is um, even if just like. Uh, coming out to protest or whatever we are doing, it's important to like show our concern, like show our voice to let the government know like this is not the way to do things. Like we Hong Kong people are not uh, we are not just gonna sit there and let you like butcher our freedom like to do what you think uh, the the China government please. Because we we are the reason why they uh, employed, like they should be answering to our our opinion, and not like just doing everything to please the Chinese government. Because I think uh, the this bill is is not is not good to anyone. Yes. Um, Why? It hurt the freedom of Hong Kong. So I think it's very important to us for every Hong Kong people to stand out. Yes. If we're not if we're not coming out, then we're gonna have no future for Hong Kong. It's all or nothing. Oh yeah, I found <laughs> I <laughs> I found what I wanna say. Okay, that's what I wanna say. So that's why I. That's a good phrase. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think uh, most of the Hong Kong people think like this too, in this way too. I also asked these young people uh, how their parents felt uh, about them protesting in what might be a dangerous um, situation. And so we'll include that answer at the end of the episode. Right. What, what do you think their parents would be saying? You're, 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 you're a child of a Hong uh, Kongers. 
Well, it depends. The, uh, the spectrum um, of political beliefs in Hong Kong is also wide. Uh, I would say the majority of Hong Kongers, you know, even the grown-ups, are understanding what's going on, and uh, they would like the governments to back down. But there's still a good portion of, um, you know, parents or maybe the elderly of Hong Kong just uses their 70s and 80s mindset to look at the current world and think that, well, you know, everything is still fine. Let's just go back to work, go back to school, and just go on to your daily lives and uh, stop protesting. What's the point of it anyway? So just there would be that kind of uh, you know, mentality for some Just parents. ignore that country behind the curtain over there. <laughs> just ignore what they're doing. Yeah, that, that, is, that is definitely a you know, good percentage of people that would think like that, maybe you know, 20% or so. But one thing um, I have to add is that we talked about the extradition law, which is how it started mm -hmm. the, um, the protest on June 9th. And then we're talking about the end goal, which is having true democracy, which is a universal suffrage for not just the so-called the chief executive of Hong Kong, think of that as the mayor of Hong Kong, uh, but also the entire legislative council. What we're missing in the middle is to have an in independent investigation of the police extreme use of violence because they have no accountability right now. Hong Kong has become a police state. It's not like, acting like a police state. It is a police state as of today. Is there a free press there? Um, the press is definitely is being uh, bought out by uh, CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. There are a few media labs that are you know, remaining with the, the free status, like Apple Daily News and uh, uh, Stan News of Hong Kong. Are so, they in danger? They are in danger. Obviously, they will be. Uh, they will try to find ways to prosecute them, and the, the ex uh, chief executive of Hong Kong will make announcements on a daily basis. Be like, oh, look, here's the the front page ad for the Apple Daily News. In a sense, to tell people to threaten these businesses as to look, you are placing ads on the free newspaper. You're going to be gone after by the Chinese government. This is Carrie Lam. Uh, yes. Do Hong Kongers get um, um, Western news? Uh, yes. Is it an open internet? Oh, that, absolutely. So they have access to it, unlike China, mainland China. Yeah, what you said is correct. As of now, that is still true. But can they shut down the internet at any point? Maybe they will. Yeah. And the, um, so we, we need to also focus in terms of the, the police use of violence and how extreme that is, because I don't think a lot of American viewers really realize what they see is the images of the protests, you know, maybe throwing the tear gas uh, by the police and you know, protesters maybe throwing them off the That was one of my questions to you is, right, what's the misconceptions that you see here? Because I know that so many people, uh, when I said I was going to go, they were like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so dangerous. And in fact, it was these um, white t-shirt thugs that the police had hired to fight against the protesters that seem to me to be the biggest threat. I wouldn't say the police hired them, but they definitely collaborated. Okay. They're probably hired by pro-Beijing groups uh, and behind the scenes. So um, yes, but that is happening on July 21st, the Yuan Long incident uh, in the northwestern part of um, Hong Kong. Just, just imagine this, right? You go to a rally in New York, let's just say you're anti-Trump, just make believe, and then you take a train to Brooklyn and suddenly a group of you know, uh, not, maybe may not be supporter of Trump, but it can be people that are bought out by that propaganda. We start beating it up randomly, and the police are disappearing for 39 minutes. You call the equivalent 9/11, right, in Hong Kong. No one picks up the phone, or they will pick up the phone and say, "Well, if you think the situation is still dangerous, you should just stay home." 
or get but, or go away from there. Or yeah, but yeah. they're not just beating up protesters. They're dressing in black. They're people that just got off work, right? With, with kids and, and and pregnant women getting beat up as well. Wow! Like it, it was not even targeting anybody. Just. Um, randomly beating people. That's amazing. And, and we've, and, gotten, and, we've yeah. gotten some of that news, but Lena, I think your question is, is really great. It's like, what, what are the misconceptions we in the West have about what is going on over there? Is there something that we don't know that we should know? Right. Um, there is allegedly many cases of um, murder of the protesters, and, uh, and I'm not sure if this is actually on the Western news that much, but we, we have many uh, videos and um, incidents that shows that first of all the police officers in Hong Kong right whether the riot police or regular police officers they don't have the the IDs being shown anymore you, you, they don't have the, the, the badge number with them so there's no way for you to find out who's actually beating you up as the police themselves cover their own face so they can randomly beat up people without any consequences of being prosecuted but are they really Hong Kong cops or are they coming from mainland China Right, militants from the nearby area of China dressing in Hong Kong police uniforms and start beating up Hong Kong people randomly because they have the inner hatred of Hong Kong people. They call ourselves cockroaches. That is what they call Hong Kongers. These protesters wow. are cockroaches. Those are the type of language that Nazi is going to say to Eastern Europeans. That's what. This is what how genocide right, started. When I was there. I spoke to two girls who were holding a sign saying, "If we have to show our ID, then why aren't the police having to show their warrant?" Yeah. That's what they called it, yeah. They, they have no identification whatsoever. That's why it becomes a police state. They are, they are above the law. No one is there to investigate police violence. And there are cases. That's why I asked Alina earlier, you know, when did you, you know, went to visit Hong Kong? Because on August 31st, there was an incident where the, the one of the metro subway stations uh, called the, the Prince Edward Station, actually quite close to where I used to live when I was a child, um, they, you know, they locked it down and a lot of protesters were beating up severely. The CCTV wasn't being released, so we don't know what happened to these protesters. They may, they may be beaten to death right at the station. You don't know to, even today? A lot of people have gone missing. And this is why the, the protest is escalating with violence, is because they are asking for the truth. We have people that are missing, and then suddenly, listen to this, and, and, and you can look this up. Hopefully, they have some English news that will cover this. But there are so many new weird cases of so-called suicide. That's happening in Hong Kong. People that will so-called fall off building, or mm. let's just say, put it this way, they will find bodies that is claimed to be falling off the building, and no one would ever even hear any loud sounds of you know, an object falling, right, from many floors. So somehow the police is always around to clean things up, and somehow there's always this pro-Beijing media that will show up immediately, take some pictures, and go away before the free press will go by. And you, you won't, you, if you see the pictures, if, please look it up, Americans, is that you won't see any like blood stains around the body. So what does that tell you? A previously frozen dead body that may be beat up either at the subway station or in the Sun Oakland. That is one of the centers that um, I think some of the American politicians are trying to go visit and find out what's going on down there. It's, it's a detention center right between the border of China and Hong Kong that they may have been tortured and men and women, girls, getting tortured and allegedly raped repeatedly by police officers and they have they will have their bodies ending up to be you know off some tall building and claiming to be falling off the buildings or or, or floating dead bodies by the river there are firefighters that says we, they found more 
dead bodies you know, floating in the river in the nearby ocean regions in these couple of months more than the past 10 years they will ever see oh in these God. cases. This is, this is this government is, as terrorists. Absolutely. This is how Hong Kong people are feeling right now. And, and you have to think of the reason why they have to do that. Maybe they cannot even control these so-called police officers. Maybe they are really dressed up you know, by, uh, sure. by, by Chinese militants. So to cover up the cases, if they are beating up to death, you let them fall off the building, assuming they are falling off the building, obviously your bones will be shattered, right? Right? If they're being raped, how do you clean off the evidence? Throw them in the seawater, right? And then the, 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 and then the dead body, if they, they actually show a, a, a picture and it's so sickening, that you start, start to see blood leaking out from a dead body that is supposedly being drowned, that doesn't happen. You know what that means? A, you're defrosting a pack of meat. That's, how, that's why the blood is going to be leaking out. And these are the images they won't be showing in Western news because... That's they, true, right. I haven't heard these I stories. haven't heard any of them. I mean, we they, talk no. about stuff we don't know about. They are right. all over the social media of Hong Kong. And, hmm. and, some, and people are asking right now, why are the Hong Kong police so-called so sloppy when they do these so-called clean-up jobs of murders? Perhaps that is exactly what they want to do. They this is how they want to, to show you. the people to scare you. You'd be right. like, stop cleaning up the protest because you may end up in these body bags. And I really hope the individuals that you interviewed right back in August are still alive because there's no guarantee. Thousands of people are being arrested and we talk about they're starting to arrest kids, like five-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids being like riot charges. And that is right. insane because one of the five demand is to remove the, uh, to stop categorizing the protest as riot because once you're being charged with riot is 10 years prison time. That's a good part of the life. So this is why Hong Kongers are fighting so, uh, you know, rigidly and we're not going to back down because so the protesters in response to this double down and more people are coming out are you saying are you suggesting um i'm not going to say about the numbers but definitely they are choosing more let's just say unlawful tactics or tactics that you know you normally won't see in hong kong but maybe in overseas like la or, or some sort but they will not be looting but they will be targeting probation business now they definitely are like um they call it the decorations that's what they use the term for, but they are basically shattering the glasses of like, you know, Bank of China and maybe, um, you know, some restaurant chains that are, you know, pro-Chinese government, right? Mm -hmm. There are also stores that allegedly help paying for the thugs that dress up in a white shirt that beats up Hong Kong protesters and not just beating up, they're bringing knives, like, um, you know, butcher knives that actually chop down people's like limbs and down to the bones. And, uh, and these are graphic footages. You can find them. If you were to search this on the internet, they are available. But you're not going to see them on CNN front page because we're all worrying about, you know, the democratic <laughs> debates and the, and the impeachment yeah. in, the, in this country. So this is Bar Crawl Radio at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. We are talking with Ken Su, a member of New York for Hong Kong, about the history of this island city-state and the recent protests. Can how are the actions now taking place in Hong Kong affecting Hong Kongers in New York City? Like yourself. Right, or oversee Hong Kongers in general. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of friends, uh, Hong Kongers friends in New York and also um, in America and Canada. We, we lose a lot of sleep, let's just say, because you know the fall the news, is we have a 12-hour difference. So at, in, during the day, we go to work, but at night, we watch the news and really trying to catch up with what's going on in Hong Kong. So we are really exhausted for months. It's been four months since that happened. And um, 
uh, you know, I do know people that go into the state of depression uh, by watching so many, so many de depressing news because as I just told you what has been really happening in Hong Kong, this is not something that Hong Kongers are used to. We, we, we went from one of the freest city in the world to like allegedly murdered and assassinated by the Hong Kong government. This is not what we grew up with. So uh, a lot of people just couldn't take it. And um, they also feel that, you know what, they really want to go back to Hong Kong and join the protesters and fight alongside of them. But a lot of them, for different reasons, they really can't go back. So they, they feel the effortlessness, um, you know, while living in the uh, United States and, you know, being in New York. So um, there are also folks uh, like myself, yes, while I'm being really saddened by what's going on in my hometown, uh, we try to do something about it, right, in America. Because so what are you doing to support each other? Right. Um, well, we, we definitely have chat groups and we're trying to share news and, um, and you know, trying to console each other what's going on. And um, we are hosting rallies around New York City and many uh, cities in the world, actually, not just in the U.S., but, you know, many European countries. You see, like, places you would not think of, like Lithuania, we have a pro-Hong Kong protest, right? And um, we should be fighting universal values, uh, you know, basic freedoms and human rights and democracy. These are the basic things that we should be fighting for. So we want Americans, uh, let's, let's just say New Yorkers, to hear about what really is going on with the Hong Kong protest. So we will, uh, we have, have one of the biggest rally we had was on June 9th when we started in Times Square. Uh, about 2,000 people show up and then we have a march all the way to the Chinese consulate on the West Side Highway. And uh, we would have rallies and we invite the politicians and speakers to come to Chinatown. Uh, we would gather in front of the Confucius Plaza uh, around Bari. And um, recently we have a rally at uh, Astor Place. And we invited uh, some prominent speakers, including Sharon Hong uh, of Hong Kong Democratic Council. And she was, was one of the um, person who speak at the uh, Congress uh, for us a couple of weeks ago. And uh, also the famous singer uh, um, Denise Ho, who is one of the few left that will be speaking out against the communist government. So, yeah. So we're trying to do events like that to not just gather Hong Kong people, but also let Americans know what is going on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think we can create some meaningful dialogues by doing these activities. Yeah. And if anyone's interested, it's NY4, number four, NY4HK. New Yorkers for Hong Kong. It's a Facebook page that we have. We also just started uh, a Twitter group, and uh, but most of the events are going to be announced uh, both in first in Facebook and then Twitter. Right. So that's NY how four number four HK. Right. Um, so Ken, what do you think is going to happen as Hong Kong moves further? Like, how hard do you think that Hong Kong can can push the Chinese? I would say that first none of us has uh, the crystal ball in hand it's oh, hard really hard to predict this is a um a history defining moment it's a clash of the western ideals with the chinese authoritarian regime uh, hong kong is basically at the front of the two storms right now i think ultimately hong kongers by themselves won't be able to stand up against uh the mainland chinese alone um, they definitely can use some international support and the united states is our good allies um, but no. is the U.S. doing anything that you know of? Is the government, is the president supporting what the Hong Kongers are doing now? Um, absolutely. Let's separate Congress with uh, 
now President Trump here. Mm -hmm. So the Congress, actually the House of Representatives just passed a uh, three different acts that is in support of Hong Kong. One of the acts is the um, Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act and is designed to punish uh, perpetrators that would be suppressing Hong Kong's Hong Kongers basic freedom and democracy and the United States now with if that becomes the law can freeze their US assets and also deny the entry to the United States so um, those you know with, with a, a few clauses that comes along with the act so definitely right now um, the house actually passed that act I believe it was merely three days ago and it's a unanimous unanimous vote uh, in the house through in the house so yep. it was bipartisan bipartisan Yes. Um, so this, the, these acts were endorsed by uh, Mitch McConnell, by uh, Marco Rubio, Nancy Pelosi, and then um, out. we have people in Hong Kongers in the East Coast that have been talking with them since uh, 2016. So yeah. Right. So, so so this is uh, getting some momentum now is uh, with Senate right now, and with regards to President Trump, uh, you know he's always flip flopping with his. Uh, with his comments, but he has actually said more things to support Hong Kong than President Obama had back in 2014. Interesting. And we do have to credit him for that. And some of the, and he's trying to, at some points, tie the trade war together with the Hong Kong protests. And I think that can apply some real pressure to mainland China. I think one way to counter that is to try to hurt the Chinese government economically. And hopefully they can budge or maybe at least trying to uh, accept if not all five, some of the five demands of the Hong Kongers and see if the situation can uh, alleviate. But do you think there's any um, any fears? Because I know that one of the things people were telling me is that the mainland Chinese are, were trying to put forth the idea that America was behind the protests. Anything bad happens to China is always the Americans doing something <laughs> behind the scenes. They're used to that kind of brainwashing. Um, but so clearly there isn't. Clearly there isn't. I mean, how can the Americans ask two million people of any city to come out to protest against the government? <laughs> Think, just do math, right? Yeah. I'm from the financial world. How much would you have to pay me to go out to the streets and risking being beat up and, and disappearing you right. know, in the middle of the night? I'm not going to do that. Pay me $10,000, let's say. Multiply that by two million. The U.S. will go bankrupt after a month. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. not it's, happening. It's, it's, pretty, rather, it's pretty ludicrous. Rather, on the other hand, What's happening is that people, real people with real strong feelings about how they want their country to be, those are the ones that are putting themselves in danger. They're risking their lives for basic freedom and democracy. And uh, just interesting, I'm going to add one note, there are pro-China protests in Hong Kong and also in New York as well. We, we have sources that said the pro-China protesters in New York are being paid to come out. $30 a head. Wow. That's how wow. much they get, US. Wow. And it, then it's a lot cheaper than the ones in Hong Kong, but we, we, we can uh, talk about that at another time. Before we finish up, is, is there any uh, upcoming events that you can tell us that uh, NY4HK is going to be uh, sponsoring? Um, we are in the middle of applying permits for uh, the rally, so uh, I won't be able to disclose too much detail at the moment, but definitely there will be ongoing uh, efforts going on. And, and one other thing is that we have to realize NY4HK is not the only organization or group of volunteers that will be organizing rallies to support Hong Kong. The supporting of Hong Kong should belong to all Americans if they feel that they really want to do something about it. 
and uh, there are a lot of Hong Kongers in New York that start their own events. And we, if you think that is interesting, NY4HK will start sharing with um, our followers. And there's definitely something going on this Sunday in um, Union Square. There will be this um, thing called the Mobile Lemon Wall. And you may actually see this all over the city. So some of some people may be holding like huge piece of uh, cardboard to show, um, you know, posters about Hong Kong and let people write on the post-it notes to 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 show their support for Hong Kong. But there are also some uh, London walls that is actually put to, to onto like construction walls around New York City and other areas. And some of them are even like 200 feet long, talking about Hong Kong. Do you and think that the protesters in Hong Kong know about these efforts, and do, how do you think that makes them feel? We we are connecting definitely. We, you know, they have Facebook. They we actually share the news, and uh, they they would feel that they're not alone. So when they go out to the fight against the police, they know that the world is watching. And the fact that we as overseas Hong Kongers um, can also play a role by letting the world know what really is going on in Hong Kong. So we are connected this way. Yeah. Great. So we've been talking with Ken Su about his other country, Hong Kong, and its struggle to remain free and democratic under the threat of Chinese hegemony. Thank you, Ken, for joining us. Thank you. Th thank you very much. And thank you, Alina, for covering Hong Kong for us. Our our stalwart reporter in Hong yes. Kong. Yes, it was a lot of fun. new development. Yeah, yeah. You don't mind traveling around the world. I don't uh, mind. No? So, okay. yeah. and, and, and your check is in the mail. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Coming up on BCR, Bar Pro Radio will be kicking off a poetry series to be produced by Chris Brandt. He's an activist, teacher, carpenter, and poet. And we will be joining forces with the Long Island History Project podcast with Chris Kratz to talk about prohibition in New York City and Long Island at the newest Patakch Bar. How do you say that? Patchog. Thank you. Patchog Bar. Daisy Dukes Country Club. And I want to thank again Ken Sue for joining us. And Alina, we're so glad to have you back in the States and, and, and be with us be at Bar Pro Radio. <laughs> and, and, and that's great. And I think this is an important thing, and we need to get these words out. Thank you for having me here. Thank and you. And may I end the show with some Cantonese? Yes, of please course. do. Yeah, of course. The, the slogan here is Guang Fuk Hong Kong, Si Doi Gat Meng. So it says, uh, translates to liberate Hong Kong and the revolution of our times. Yes. Thank you. You're here.